You're about to hear a podcast recorded before our rebrand, so you might hear us mention our previous brand name, We Are Radical, or our original podcast name, The Radicalist. We're still the same show with the same hosts on the same mission. And if you'd like to find out how we got here, you'll find our journey on the stories page of obuinvest.com. It's so exciting to be back in the studio recording the second series of the Radicalist podcast. Can you believe we're here? No, I can't believe we're <laughs> here. But I love it because in the first series, we started to explore the startup stories for women founders and how taking those first steps is so, so important. But now we're at the other end of the scale where we're talking to women founders who are finding investment and funding options for their businesses so that they can scale and take over the world, right? Right, exactly. And for us, it's so important that we put that know-how and understanding about funding in the hands of women and underrepresented entrepreneurs so much earlier in their startup mm-hmm. journey. And that's why we're here. That's why in this season, we talk to so many entrepreneurs and investors about the role that investment could play in your business. Right, absolutely. And we spent the whole summer running our Over Being Underfunded campaign where we talk about the disparity that just 1% of funding goes to women, even less goes to a woman of colour, and there's no reporting if you are living with a disability. So this is the podcast where we talk about it. I'm Sarah King. And I'm Claire Dunn, and we're the founders of We Are Radical. So let's do it. Let's get started on season two of the Radicalist podcast. In this discussion, we talked to Sally Corden, founder of Red Dog Glass Design, Suzanne Mahoney, co-founder and CEO of Libby, and Nicola Telford, the CEO and co-founder of Views for Change. We talked to them frankly about the challenges of searching for investment, the need to be upfront and honest about money, and what makes a great pitch deck. All of these entrepreneurs have either recently closed an investment round or are going through the process of closing their first round at the moment. So everyone, I would love to start. Please tell us about your business, when you founded, and what stage of your raise you're at at the moment. So Nicola, let's start with you. Sure. So I'm Nicola Telford. I'm CEO and co-founder of a company called Views for Change. Our whole sort of mission is to generate a positive impact in every business interaction, transaction, and action. And the way we're doing that to start with is by creating donations for advertising engagements. So brands can reward advertising engagements and consumer attention with donations to charity. And what we've seen with that in our tests and everything like that is that we are improving brand loyalty, brand perception. We're increasing engagement for advertisers. And also we're seeing consumers are feeling like their time is valued Mm -hmm. and their attention is valued. We have just finished our race uh, about uh, about three weeks ago. um, We raised a pre-seed round of 180k. Amazing. um, And that was nearly two years after we incorporated Mm. because we incorporated as an agency and then had to pivot, which meant that we were under fairly strict timelines to Mm. get our first investment round done. And it was a long slog. (laughs) Uh, We finally got there. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting about. uh, Is it going to be like therapy? (laughs) I mean, I'm hoping so. For me, mostly. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, um, Hopefully that covers the intro. Thanks, Nicola. Sal, let's come to you. Sure. I'm Sally Calden. I'm founder and director and artist of Red Dog Glass Design. 
we're all about making spaces extraordinary with artwork. And uh, what we do is we create bespoke contemporary art on glass panels uh, for both residential and commercial spaces. So it's about bringing art into living spaces in a different way. It's actually practical because it's toughened glass. So it's super exciting and we're first to market. So, yeah, we're really excited about it. Uh, We launched in December 18. So we've been running for just over two years and I'm mid-investment round. So I've secured just over half my investment at the moment. And I'm currently in discussions with other investors at the moment to secure the final amount. So it's very exciting. Thanks, Sally. Suze. Hi there. Yeah, so I'm Suzanne Mahoney and I'm a co-founder and CEO of Libby, which stands for Love It, Buy It, which is an industry, same as you, Sally, an industry first e-commerce platform that makes hotels and resorts shoppable. So we sort of believe that every element of the guest experience is shoppable. So that is from if you're at centre parks and you've loved the bike that you've been riding on, you get the chance to buy the bike. But it could be the mattress that you've slept on in the hotel. You've had the best night's sleep. You get to buy the mattress or could be Sally's art that's in the hotel as well. So anything there that you want to buy, you can buy. And we launched during the pandemic, as I'm sure lots of people did just over a year ago. And we are the same as Sally, really. We are just raised almost all of the money now we think that's probably a little bit of news to Claire and Sarah but we're almost there with the raising of um, 150,000 through the SEIS scheme so that's where we are at the moment. Amazing and sticking with you Suze we've been working with you for a little while now we know that one the number one barrier to entry for women accessing investment is actually awareness of the funding and then access to funding it gets in the way of women growing businesses and tapping into those growth strategies more quickly and those scale strategies more quickly. We know that investment wasn't always a part of your plan, but can you remember back to the point where investment did become a point of plan? Like, what were you considering at that time? What was the trigger for you saying, actually, the way that we're going to scale and grow this business is by taking in external investment? Yeah, so I I suppose a bit like Nicola was saying, when we started off, the business was slightly different. So we started off in the middle of the pandemic as a retail consultancy business. And we pretty quickly saw that there was an opportunity to reach out to hotels and to brands and offer a retail solution that didn't involve a lot of investment for them and a lot of risk for them. And that's when Mm -hmm. we came up with the e-commerce platform which took us into a slightly different direction in terms of being a uh, a tech business. So I think at that point, we realised that we needed money, but we probably didn't know how we were going to get that money. So we thought about friends and families and raising it ourselves. And I think it was working with you, we'd worked with Real Radical on the co-founders course and then on the accelerator course. And I think it was really talking to you that sort of prompted the question of, well, have you thought about investment and you know, probably as so many of us, we thought that was Dragon's Den or nothing. And we didn't yeah. really didn't. We really didn't fancy that. Um, and I often no. uh, often say um, that I think I'd prefer to do Naked Attraction, but I, I really don't. <laughs> I also really don't want to do Naked Attraction. But um, yeah, so th- so it was really talking to you and sort of having a little bit of handholding from from you guys to say, actually, this is something that really could help your business grow and grow pretty quickly. And it wasn't then, it was at that point, realise it wasn't just from the tech side and providing the tech that we needed, but also, as you said, Claire, about the people that we needed and the marketing we needed and all those things that we needed to grow quickly. 
And Nicola, Sal, does that resonate with you in terms of, you know, where did you build awareness of funding? Did you know other entrepreneurs who were were raising funds? Did you have an angel network already? When did it become a thing for you in your business? Well, for me, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And I had, so I'm on a couple of accelerators and there's sort of access to some awareness around it, but I just never really sort of considered it as an option for me until we got to a point where we decided to pivot. And then we were like, we actually haven't got a choice. Like mm. we, that you know, we've looked at grants and things like that, but they were all slow and it was just going to take too long. And then, yeah, through fellow founders, I sort of just started asking questions yes. like, how, what do you even do? Yes. And then yeah. it was sort of a, oh, create a pitch deck and then start with that and then go from there. Mm. And Honestly, I think I said about 50 million times in the first couple of months of the round, like I learned so many new words, so yes. many new um, like phrases that I'd never yeah. heard of before. I had to work out what like post money valuations were and, yeah. and, you know, how can you defend your valuation and, and all this sort of stuff. And all of that, every time every time I got off a call, I was just Googling frantically, yes. <laughs> like, what, what does this actually mean? And I hope that I've sort of made a response that actually makes some makes sense to the person yeah. that I've spoken to. But yeah, asking loads of people as, yeah. as things come up, I think was the main thing. But And interestingly, a lot of people say there's, you know, there's loads of information out there, but it's so unique to each business that it's mm. actually really hard to find a sort of one size fits all mm. approach, especially during a pandemic where you don't have networking events to go to or anything like that. You've got to find another route into funding, which is mm. tricky. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So. Does that resonate for you, Sal? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I I know investment mm. as Dragon's Den like Sue's really. And I didn't really have any intention of going on there. Far Preach. too much of your business, uh, in my view. So I didn't give it any thought at all. And it, it was really when I linked up with you guys and came on the accelerator program, and I accelerated the speed at which my business has developed. And then it was like, well, I'm quite an impatient person, and I wasn't prepared to kind of wait for revenues to get to such a stage where I could then invest in marketing and resource. Mm. Uh, it's sort of a catch-22, really, you get to, I think. And so for me, coming on your investment incubator has been amazing because it's just opened up the world of investment. And you're brilliant because you explain <laughs> it simply, which is always good. And, you know, we've got the investment pack and, and now I'm sort of mid-process. And I definitely wouldn't have done it if I hadn't have linked up with you guys. So, and as Nicola said, it's, it's you can't go out yeah. and network like you used to be able to do because of the pandemic. So you are kind of a little bit alone with trying to work it out and I completely agree some of the language it's really quite interesting isn't it and you sit there and think all oh, right what I just need to yeah. kind of just logically think what that might mean and give an answer and hope it's the right one but yes no absolutely I mean I hadn't thought about it I didn't know anyone that was doing it and the only link yeah. I had to it was watching Dragon's Den yeah, we we were talking about that um, recently and that whole perception of Dragon's Den and I think I think there's lots of value in it in raising awareness of investment and creating pitch decks and, you know, everybody who watches it knows you need to value your business and you're in the equity exchange and blah, blah, blah. But also it feels very transactional. It feels like you're turning up to get some money and that's the only thing that you're seeking investment mm. for. Nicola, as somebody who's just closed their investment round, when you were seeking investment, was there anything else that you were looking for when you brought investors in? Were you like, yes, I want your financial support, but I also would love 
this level of expertise, this insight, this shortcut, access to this network? What else were you looking for? Yeah, just quickly to add to the f- that question before, yeah. the other thing that I just wanted to say is with, um, I mean, you guys are all, I assume, on LinkedIn, but one of the things that I find the most maddening with the awareness of funding is the stories that are told about funding. Like you hear the amazing stories, oh, I yeah. raised 2.5 million in five days yes. or something. And no one is ever talking about, you know, the smaller amounts that have like been a slog for about you know, a year to get to, all yeah. the ones that don't work out and all yeah. that sort of stuff. But anyway. Um, no, you're completely right, yeah. though. It is, the stories you hear about are the kind of multi-million pounds, the overnight yeah. successes. Mm. And of course, rightly, the celebration of that. But as you described, that doesn't really reflect the absolute slog that yeah. it can be. Mm. And like, surely, I mean, I don't know the stats, I'm going to make up a stat, but it would be like, 90% of businesses aren't raising four million pounds pre-product, pre-revenue, no. pre-like tech, pre-everything. You know, yeah. that's yeah. just not how it works. And yeah. and um I just think it's frustrating as a founder seeing that because it also just damages your confidence. Like yes. day by day, you're seeing all these people succeeding around you. You're like, oh my God, I'm not I can't do that. Like yeah. I can't even get a 10k commitment. So yeah. how am yeah. I gonna get five million you know yeah. it's just it just you just don't even know where to start and it feels like the gap between where you're getting to and where everyone else is getting to is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger yeah. and I don't know what the solution is to that because the news story is obviously going to be in the big mm, you know the big yeah. funding rounds but like communities I suppose because you can actually mm. speak to people that are doing similar size rounds and going through the same pain points as yes. you and all that sort of stuff just provides some reality yeah. to it. Yeah. Because yeah. like LinkedIn just become this like stratospheric, right. like, yeah. crazed funding place. It's but. like the 80-20 rule, isn't it? It's kind of, and probably not even 80-20, it's probably 2% and 98%. Yeah. So you'll hear about 2% of the investment rounds that, you know, hit those big numbers and everybody else is mm. pretty much ignored. One of the reasons actually that we did announce our uh, raise which was 52,000 in January. It was a small raise, but it made it accessible mm. and normal yeah. and achievable rather mm. than, oh, well, you can't possibly announce it and you should be embarrassed by it somehow mm. because it wasn't 1.5 million. It's like, that was great. That's done a lot for our business. We're mm. really chuffed yeah. about that. And now we can move on. I faced exactly the same thing after the round. I was like, am I going to tell anyone about this? Because, Mm. you know, I've got friends who are raising millions and they're all, you know, shouting from the rooftops about it. I was a bit embarrassed. I was like, well, Mm. but 100, we raised 180K. That's a huge amount of money, like, to anyone. So I was like, actually, no, I'm going to forget, like, that I should be embarrassed and I'm just going to, (laughs) like, tell everyone. And then since then, we announced it. We've done some press. I think we're going to do some with you. And we've had, like, inbounds, like, immediately because people are like, oh, actually, they're being backed by investors. They must actually, mean business and they're you know wanting to use the platform so now I've just got to build the platform (laughs) I think it's also interesting um, from the investor side as well so when you see all this five million raised as an investor you can invest right 5k you can invest 10k it doesn't have to be a hundred thousand k investment in a business and I think that's been really interesting as well yeah I think you're completely right lots of people will count themselves out of investing because they haven't got hundreds of thousands of pounds. But as you said, Sal, 5K, 10K, that can really just help to get that investment round going, particularly if it comes with, I've got a bunch of know-how I can offer or, or I'm in the sector that you want to move into. Like, it's investment beyond just the capital as well, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking for investors that... I'm, I'm not looking just for people that can provide money. 
It's mm. it's actually not about that. I'm, I'm you might have guessed. I'm, I'm pretty passionate about what I do. I'm the artist and I'm creating the designs. So for me, what's really lovely is when I engage with people that get what I'm doing and they buy into the product and they love the journey that it's going to be going on mm. and has been on and want to be part of that and want mm, to yeah. contribute. So I've got a small investor who's an architect who's really interested in helping me from the commercial design perspective. It's not just about signing a cheque. It's mm-hmm. about actually Absolutely. contributing something as well and, and just wanting to be on the journey. Yes. and experiencing a growing business because they haven't done that themselves and they just want to experience it. That becomes really obvious when you're speaking to them as well. Like if they get it immediately, the conversations are just pointed from the beginning. When you, I mean, I've had so many conversations with investors that it actually kind of makes you feel a bit sick, but um, <laughs> they, a lot of them just don't really get it to begin with. Mm. I'd normally turn that on myself and say I haven't pitched it well enough, but a lot of them just don't get it and probably aren't going to get it. And they spend meeting after meeting after meeting picking apart the idea and the concept right. rather than all the good stuff that could be mm. like, how can we grow this? Like, what if you turn this tap on? Mm. Like, what if you do this? And to Sally's point, like, you know when people get it and you want those people on board. Plus, there's all the added extras of like, if they've got specific skills that you want to get on board and then you've got particular connections. A lot mm. of yeah. investors are very well connected and can yeah. get you into really interesting places. But I think sometimes it's been a sort of square peg in a round hole with mm. some investors and you've, I've tried to find ways to make them useful other than their money. And sometimes they're just not. Yeah. And like, it's difficult because you're kind of like, oh, I just want to get the money, just get this. But there are other aspects that you've got to consider because if yeah. they're not a good fit, then it's just not worth having them on board. Yeah. Um, which is a painful decision to make. Right. But that's a really interesting tension, isn't it? Because we know that in the world of investment, both for investors and entrepreneurs, women are underrepresented. And actually the stats around the level of investment into women-founded businesses are just horrifying. You know, more recently it's been covered in the media. We hear about this inequality. Did that inequality put you off in any way or did it make you more determined? Absolutely not. Made me more (laughs) determined. It's like, you know, I don't think it's actually that complicated or as complicated as I imagined it would be to get investment. It's hard work. There's no doubt about that. And there's a lot of work that needs to go into it. But it's not hugely complicated when somebody actually explains it to you simply and you know Mm. what the process is so there's you know certain steps that you need to take in a certain order once you understand that and if you've got great support around you with people that have perhaps done it before then it's just hard work so for me it's Mm. about the challenge of making it work and making it happen which we're making it happen so yeah you know it's very possible you just want to you need to really want to do it and have a bit of persistence yeah. and endurance and, and so, energy. One of the things that, that we've had the pleasure of talking to you about is that one of your drivers is, well, if I can make this business successful, I can become an angel investor in the future and then I can invest in women and underrepresented entrepreneurs. So for you, it really is. There is this fuel, isn't there, around that inequality and wanting to play a role you know, whether it's as a role model for other entrepreneurs or in the future as an investor yourself? Absolutely. I'm really passionate about bringing people on and and sharing information and knowledge. And, you know, throughout my previous careers, you know, I've done a lot of coaching and mentoring in different businesses and things. And it's just critical. We need to make it more open and more accessible to people. 
And it will be through us going through it now that are starting to break down those barriers and we can go out and talk about it and then it'll kind of hopefully go a bit viral. Mm. You know, the more we tell, the more they will tell. Um, And for women in business and if you're an entrepreneur and you haven't thought about investment, please do. Just get in contact with We Are Radical or whatever and because it isn't so horrifying as you might think it is, there'll be people around you to help you through that process. And, and that's the big thing. Having somebody just to hold your hand through the first time makes a huge difference. But I do think, to your point, Nicola, earlier, I do think there's a lot about the storytelling of this. And I think if there are more stories out there about people, ordinary people, normal people that you know haven't come from privileged backgrounds, you know, haven't got huge funds behind them to start with, but mm. actually... The struggle to get it, but as Sally said, but but it is doable, it is doable. But there isn't really that narrative out there at all. It's mm, it's either yeah. it's the big stories. It feels unattainable to most ordinary people, which so. makes it even more important for us to tell everyone right. what we're doing, yeah. we're doing it, so that you I know agree. that just normalises the whole. And be really thing. proud when you've closed around. Like that's such a big deal, yeah. and whether that's fifty k or two hundred k or you know a million pounds. It's like actually the smaller deals are really valuable to hear because. We also know that women are incredible at making that investment work really hard. Mm. And so that 180 grand for you is going to work really hard in your business and will probably go further than somebody you might have raised 400 grand. Yeah. And, and ditto for Sal and Sue's, you know, your 150k raises, you will work that really hard and you will see a return on that and that will really help to supercharge your businesses. So let's get really practical. When you think about the conversations that you've had and the investors that you have secured, it's like, how have you found those investors? Nicola, let's go for you first. Um, So, I mean, worth caveating that this was done during the pandemic. So Mm. my experience of raising is obviously not that of pre-pandemic, but Essentially, the way it started was I went out to my initial network Mm. and asked if they knew anyone, Mm. you know, pretty simply, just sort of said, you know, any investors, more like the initial stages were to get advice Mm. um, and just see, you know, was it an investable proposition and then maybe hopefully take those conversations a bit further. And as things went on, and as I started to realise that the conversion rate was pretty low, I basically started doing outreach directly to investors that I'd found via LinkedIn or via specific articles about companies that I sort of admired. Or And basically, mostly, our investors came through LinkedIn in the end, direct mm. outreach, yeah. um, with the exception of about three of them who were through my sort of connections and network. Yeah. So it feels a bit weird now because it feels like I've just sort of I haven't even met half of them because, yes. you know, still now I'm meeting one of our investors for the first time this afternoon. Yeah. Probably about 60% of them I haven't even met yet. Yeah. Um, and it's weird. You just become like talking heads. Like some of them are really great and I speak to them frequently. Some of them are happy to just give the money. And then if I have specific questions in their area, then go to them then. But yeah, predominantly cold outreach, wow. which was a slog and a half. But I think one of the things you don't, you think you have quite a big network and I like to meet people and all that sort of stuff. But Unless you know that you're going to go for investment, you're not building your network in that area. So yeah. you don't know anyone. And then you have to rely on 10th degree <laughs> yes. connections before you actually speak to someone who has some money or yeah. is an active investor. Yeah. yeah. So. And let's be honest, there is a lot of nepotism in the world of investment, yeah. isn't there? 
So the same people are making the same investments to Simon's friend, John. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, which is part of the challenge, isn't it? We need to swell the number of angel investors in the UK, particularly with women and underrepresented entrepreneurs, so that there is more understanding of the types of businesses that we're building yeah. so that you're not having to go out to the stat. I can't remember what the stat is, but it's something like an entrepreneur will talk to on average kind of 250 yeah. potential investors. And you yeah. go, who's got time to do that when yeah. you're also building the business? Oh my God. I think I probably like spoke to either online or via video way more than that. 500 uh, or so. Yeah. yeah. And it, I mean, when you're taking that approach, it is less likely that you're going to get hits because, yeah. you know, you're going essentially cold. But mm. when you don't have warm introductions into places then you haven't really got much choice one thing I would say and I'm not I don't want to like slag anything off but like the platforms that you can use some of the platforms that are like put your deal on here and we'll send it out to a thousand investors I mean I just wouldn't bother like honestly Mm. just nothing Mm. came from it like Mm. I mean if I was an investor I wouldn't be searching through thousands of decks like they get so many that it's just pointless like you need to have a way to get in front of them as an individual not as a just another deal and yeah and then obviously like communities like yours Mm. and your network when you start to get to know people who are connected with investors then you get those warm intros not because you've asked for them necessarily but because you that people think it's worth it and they think someone would be interested in working with you which I think is the best compliment you can get really for your business and for yourself yeah Yeah. how about for you Suzanne so you are coming to maybe the top end of your raise and looking to close in the next few weeks. How have you found your investors? Yeah, the majority, sort of a bit opposite to you, Nicola, actually. I think we're sort of, we've found ours sort of from our connections. So family and friends, which were great, you know, supportive family and friends was a, is a part of it. But also just through our connections in the retail world, I think, and um, which has been really refreshing. And, and as you said, Nicola, it's just great to have, somebody that you know to start with it just really really does help if you've got somebody that you know but also then um through you guys on the incubator platform you know meeting um we had a great meeting this morning and we've got another one this afternoon that have come from the platform they're your recommendations as you said Nicola somebody that believes in your idea and putting you in touch with somebody who has got that relevant experience and some expertise that they can give you and kind of we're all about connecting that's one of our sort of core values is about connecting you know connecting great brands with great hotels and great spaces with guests of those hotels and we really want somebody that can have those networks for us and open those doors for us and that that's kind of one of the most important things along with I think Sally and I have discussed this along with a great sense of humor you know we just (laughs) don't underestimate that you you know you want people that around you that are good people and and people that you trust but people that you can have work really really hard but also have have fun with as well so that sense of humor bit is quite important to us so so yeah so I think we're sort of at the point now where we're saying we're very lucky to have the investment almost at the top end now but it's about have we got the right mix of people and Mm. and the right expertise really Mm. It's really interesting, Suze, hearing you use that word lucky, because we've done a number of podcast recordings in the last 24 hours with women founders who have either closed a raise or they're about to close their raise. And that word keeps coming up. And it's one of those words. It always, whenever I hear it, I'm like, this isn't luck. No. Like you've all alluded to the grit and the hard work and the tenacity and the resilience to keep going with these investment rounds in a landscape that almost doesn't recognize you as an entrepreneur 
because of your gender. Mm. And I just, we've been working with you, Susan, we've seen the grit and the tenacity that it's taken. And and again, I think that's almost part of the the role that we have to play as entrepreneurs, which is it's so easy for us to put it down to luck. But actually, it's come about because you've got a vision, you're passionate about bringing your businesses into the world, and you're really bloody gritty. Mm-hmm. I mean, talking to over 500 people, Nicola, like, no wonder you needed a week of that. Barcelona, when you close. <laughs> like it's uh, lesson Sal and Sue's book a holiday. Yeah. <laughs> so just book it at the right time. Yeah. No, I think there was, there was a quote, was it? I think it was Jack Nicholson who said, the, the harder I work, the luckier I become. Which I right, think is, exactly. yeah, which is, yeah. Ki- which mm-hmm. is kind of true. Yeah. But yes, no, but like Sally, there's a bit of impatience there and, a lot of hard work and resilience, I suppose, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. part of it as well is that a lot of the hard work happens early on mm. and then the results of that aren't necessarily straight away. So mm. it feels like at the end of it, you know, I had a period of time where I was just speaking to loads and loads of people and then some of them became really good conversations. But there was a week, probably about a month after that really intensive piece of work, when I had about eight commitments but all of them were from that piece of work so it Mm. felt in that week like it was really lucky and I was like gosh it's all just coming together Mm. but it was because of the hard work before and you kind of take you you sort of separate them out and it Mm. feels like oh you know the universe is just giving me something look at how this has happened (laughs) yeah it's magic but actually it's it's all the work that you've done before that's culminated into that and then I mean, as women, we're not very good at saying yes. that, that it's, you know, we did the work. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. This was because right. of me. Yeah, yeah. Um, which we need to be better at. In fact, that needs to be a T-shirt. I made it happen. Yeah, <laughs> noted. Yeah, we are radical merch. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> One day. Um, Sal, how about for you? Because you've got an overseas investor, haven't you? So how did you go about finding that investor? And also, why was that important for your business? Sure. Well, well, my, just to pick up on the kind of how I found my investors so far, they're all people that I actually know. Mm. And I was just in conversation with before I even thought, because I was thinking kind of angel investors, that's how you need to do it. And I was just talking to these people I know, sort of friends about the business. And they just said, well, can I invest? Yeah. And I went, well, I suppose so. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes, you can. Yeah. So, so that's amazing. It, it does put a slightly additional bit of pressure on <laughs> to, to make sure that we do really yeah. deliver of course we will deliver but um so my overseas I've actually got two overseas investors what's important for me the vision for Red Dog is to take it international so the glass panels will be seen internationally I've historically worked internationally for 30 years in my previous careers so it's a second nature I used to live in Australia so a big investors investing from Australia so for me you know, having somebody on the ground in Oz that's really behind Red Dog, I know that this glass will fly in Australia. It's just what they love, the bright stuff, just the way they live and outdoor living as well. So for outdoor spaces, having my Australian investor gives a very different view on things mm. and and actually can help me when we're looking at Australia and the US and other areas to actually help build the business out there. And she's absolutely bang on for for helping with that. So it's really exciting. Yeah. And that talks to that point, doesn't it, around it's, yes, about capital, but actually about how your investors might play a role in in growing and developing the business, Mm -hmm. whether that's local market knowledge, whether that's, you know, I know for you, Sal, that investor has insights around 
product development and and kind of even colours that you use with yes. within your artwork to work well, in that market. What's interesting is I sent my designs out to Australia to her about a year ago and asked her to test it with the architects and designers in in Oz. And the feedback was that the colours are very European in my paintings in the designs. And so what I've actually negotiated is I'm going to be sponsored to go to Oz and and go and paint. So I'm going to go there and paint in the right colour palette and then release the Oz colour palette designs out there. That's so, so cool. Um, that so is so cool. Well, I mean, if <laughs> you I were, come? Yeah. If you, um, if you want to join the team that are going to carry yes, Sal's paintbrushes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> caddies or something. Yeah. Yeah. But the other thing that um, is worth knowing for anyone that is looking at overseas investment is how do you, they can't be part of the SEIS or EIS mm. scheme unless they're t- UK taxpayers. So obviously these guys aren't. Um, so I... I was introduced to a foreign transfer company that are able to transfer monies from anywhere in the globe into the business accounts, all very official and tax and HMRC and everything, uh, Lumen Pay. And they were fantastic because basically what happened is my investor transferred money into their bank account in Australia. And then from there, it got transferred into the, the Red Dog one. So it was very, very easy. And mm. for me, moving forward, when I'm setting up sort of in the US and, and maybe the Middle East to have sort of a network of a company that's networked globally to be able to manage those financial transactions is going to be really invaluable. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. So getting into the really kind of practical nitty gritty of going through your investment raises and thinking specifically about your pitch decks and your financial forecasts, which all the investors love to have a little kick and a, a look at. In really practical sense, what advice would you give an entrepreneur who is thinking about raising their investment, first investment round, when it comes to pulling together that pitch deck, pulling together uh, that financial forecast? How would you direct them in terms of an approach, Nicola? So I would say learn from my mistakes, which were (laughs) to pull something together based on the prescribed format of a pitch deck mm. you know there's like problem solution traction tech mm. blah, blah 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 and tell a story like I mean I've got a marketing background and I don't know why I didn't just think to actually tell a story <laughs> because I was trying to fit these pieces into the deck that I thought were the right things to put in yeah. but they weren't coherent so you know you were going from one end of the story to the other so tell the story how you would tell it in your deck and then when you're communicating about it face to face or over zoom or whatever it's coherent with what Mm. you're saying so basically ignore all the advice with with in reason of like what a pitch deck should have in it with the exception of financials always have your financials in there and I would say get some advice on your financials if you're not a financial person. I am not a financial person. I made some educated predictions on my financials. But since we've raised, we've changed our pricing model, we've changed Mm. our approach to the market, we've changed all these different things, and we hadn't done full scenario planning. Mm. And so our numbers are now completely different. They're still good, but they're Mm. different. And now I've got to explain that to investors who are saying, well, hold on, you said you were going to be profitable Mm. at this point, or you said we were going to get a 10x return in Mm. this point. That's another thing that I find stressful about the language around investment is 
and this applies to investors as well, I think, they all get really excited about 10x returns and unicorns and, and all this sort of stuff. And it's sometimes you're just not going to get a 10x return. And yeah. it's better to have a sustainable investment that's going to be a 5x return in five years than it is to be like, I want 10x after two years. Yeah. Right. And but, also... Who do you think I am? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm trying, but I don't... Like, my business would be better if we like built it sustainably mm. right but isn't that so key and i think you've touched on one of the things that really needs to change about the world of investment you look at the businesses that have been invested in and have grown rapidly and then you look at the state of the planet or yeah. you look at burnout rates like the way we've been doing business doesn't work mm. so actually a slower return doesn't mean that's not a good return particularly when you're building a business that is purpose-driven as well as profit-driven. Exactly. Yeah, like the return isn't always just financial as well. Mm. Like we've got a couple of investors who like I just think are so sick, but they are really into the charitable element of what we're mm. doing. And they actually, the reason why they've invested in us is not because of the multiplication of their own investment back to them. It's because of the way that their money is then multiplying the donations. Yeah, so it's brilliant. enabling like exponential growth of donations rather than exponential growth of their own finances. Ideally, we can do both, but mm. that's the sort of attitude that people should be having. What other benefits are, are these things bringing yes. to communities or to, you know, small businesses or, you know, anything yeah. Yeah. other than just the money? Yeah. Sally, what advice would you give when thinking about pitch decks and financial forecasting? Sure. Well, I, I completely agree with Nicola. I think telling the story, because at the end of the day, people are investing in you and your business and you need to be authentic and personable. And it needs to be a real human that's behind the business, mm. not a machine. So for me, it's really being clear on, you know, explain what you're about, explain what your vision is and, you know, where you started and how you're growing now. And just tell the story about your business and where you want to take it to. The financials, yes, of course, everybody wants to see the financials. You know, I think there's two real groups of, of investors. I mean, I'm generalising now, but there's the group of investors that are looking at the tenfold return within 36 hours and you know, <laughs> doing whatever. And, you know, and, you know, you've got a sort of <laughs> a big stick over you. And then you've got the, the investors that want to invest, but they invest in your business. Mm. And for, personally, for me, I'm much more comfortable with the people that invest in my business and me yeah. and I'm not looking for my investment I've actually been very clear and I'm not giving dividends I plan to sell the business in six to eight years and that's when they will get their return mm. so I'm being really clear with my investors that this is a long-term investment mm -hmm. uh, they will get their return definitely but it is a long-term investment and they're coming on the journey with me so mm. I think you just need to be really clear what you're asking for and be clear it might suit you to have the tenfold, you know, delivery in two years. And that might be the type of business that you're going to do. And that's fine. But really be truthful with yourself about mm. what you need for your business and what your business is about and what the values are for your business. Mm. Mm. Uh, and then work that out and have that clear before you go into the investment conversations. Because mm. you will have conversations that it's just a not a fit. I had one yesterday and it's not a fit. Yeah. And and that's fine. And it's good to know that quickly. Yeah. Um, because then you don't waste more time talking yeah. about it. You can be really clear and say, well, that's that's not going to quite work. 
Mm. So move mm. on. Yeah. And I was just going to say, and don't create it based on what you think investors will want to see. Like, yeah. I fell into that trap to begin with. And that's because everyone was telling me that's what I should be doing. You know, investors going to want to see this and that and and your 10x returns and all of that sort of stuff. And flip it on its head and be like, what am I actually going to do? And then they yes. can decide whether they think that's investable or not. And if they if they don't, then move on right yeah. right because you create a rod for your own back otherwise don't mm. you you'll get through that round and then it's like holy shit like i've now got investors who are expecting something and that's not how i'm going to build this business mm. it's stressful it's stressful mm. and mm. unnecessary pressure you're putting mm. unnecessary pressure on yourself and your business i think exactly mm. how about for you Suze, in terms of kind of any practical lessons around those key documents? Yeah, well, I think definitely echoing what you two ladies have said as well in terms of story. And we did exactly the same. And, and I think it was one of the sessions that we had with you guys with about storytelling and your value proposition that sort of ch- turned ours on its head a little bit. But as far as the actual pack itself, the idea and and even the financials, I think Claire in particular, I think our forecasting document gave her hives did Nick Claire we, we, so it's, kind of, it's kind of our world and we and we built a very very complicated P&L and forecasting document but but we feel really happy with it and we that's how we wanted to do it but my probably my biggest piece of advice is keep things simple because mm. uh, you know you don't have a lot of time to speak to people you don't want to overcomplicate it and um, all of our ideas actually are really really simple and that's what makes them really good ideas is because mm. the actual basic idea of it is very very simple and if somebody, as you said, Sal, if somebody really wants to dig into the financials or what have you, maybe they're not the right fit. But, you know, you've got that to back it up if you need it. But it would be keeping it really simple. And we did for pitch decks. We we had great support and help from We Are Radical. But also we just, you know, we did a lot of, of Googling. And back to that simplicity, you know, we looked at Airbnb and EasyJet and all those guys. And that's the one thing that kept coming out to us is it's simple. They've kept it really simple. It's not it's not rocket it doesn't have to be rocket science and it probably shouldn't be rocket science. So yeah, mm-hmm. so that's the advice probably. And what about that taboo around money and talking about money, right? So like Nicola, I spoke to one of your investors and he was like, I love Nicola because we had a really short call. She told me about business and she told me what she needed. <laughs> How have you found that in terms of like talking about cash, talking um, about money? Uh, I was thinking about this earlier and because I'm meeting that investor this afternoon. And so he was actually our last investor and he closed our round. He was like filled the last amount. And so to begin with, at the beginning of the round, I didn't even ask for money on calls. Mm. I didn't really know how. I felt like it was really crude. And, you know, I don't talk about money openly with people. So it's it's just a really awkward thing to say, even though that's what they're expecting. And it actually took quite a bit of coaching and conversations mm. with people to get to the point where I felt comfortable being like trying to close a conversation with a this is what we need or are you going to invest or mm, yeah. are you interested? And, you know, there's some investors as well who will drag you along for quite some time mm. without saying anything. To be quite frank, I basically just got to the end of my tether and I was like, right, I'm just going to, if I don't ask for money in this call, I'm like, I'm only yeah. screwing myself because then I'm going to have to do another call and start yeah. the conversation again yeah. and then ask again. So before every call, I was like, the one, if you don't do anything else today, the one question you've got to ask is, are you going to invest? Yeah. Right. And and how much? Mm, as yeah. Well. So it took a bit of time with some of them to work it out. But by the time I got to that particular investor, we got on the call. It was about 6.30 in the evening. I was really tired. Gave him the spiel, you know, this yeah. is what we're about, la, 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 la. And I said, we've got 15K to go for the rest of our round. Do you want it? <laughs> and 
<laughs> and he was like, and then I sort of laughed because I was like, caught myself. I was like, I can't believe I just said that to someone. And he just goes, I'm glad you laughed when you said that. But yeah, okay, we, I will. Amazing. And I was like, okay, I love you. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, and he was like, yeah, I can move quick. I'll like sign the paperwork if you send it over this evening and wow. ready to go. And then that was like the closing round moment. And I was like, I thought it was going to be, you know, confetti cannons and like, you know, every like everything was just going to like go off. I was going to call loads of people yeah. and literally all I did is like turn around and just got into bed and right. now, I was like thank god for that yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's that's done that's, yeah. um, but I think if I do another round and if I'm doing this again like I'm just going to ask straight away now because yes. there's just no point in dragging it out it's horrible it gets, it's uncomfortable but you get used to it yeah. and it's allowed me to do it in other like areas of my business as well so when I speak to suppliers and I'm negotiating I'll be just really clear or I had a pretty difficult conversation I had to have yesterday and you just end up being like blunt, I suppose, but mm. at least you're like putting your own needs first and you're you're mm. expressing them. And I think, yeah. I don't know if this is a trend, I think it probably is for women to just not say what they need or what mm. they want. And it's really good practice. Practice yeah. it on anyone, even if you're just, I, I've done, I did it to like advisors and stuff. I just be like, do you want to invest? Yeah. I like just practice it because then the more the words come out of your mouth, then the easier it is when you're actually in front of someone that yeah, might actually yeah. invest. Yeah. yeah. That would be my thoughts. You've all shared such incredible insights and tips. I just could go on with this conversation for ages, but we've got to draw it to a close, haven't we? I was chuckling, Nicola, on your reflection of, of when you closed and that kind of turning around and falling into bed. Claire and I, when we closed, we we bought a mini bottle each of um, champagne. We had a straw each because it was the middle of lockdown and you couldn't you could only meet with one other person in public. And we literally did laps of the block. Yeah. <laughs> just drinking this. And then we were both like, we're really and tired. <laughs> Yeah, it was it raining. Was raining. <laughs> it was dark. It yeah. was January. Yeah. It was like bleak. Yeah. <laughs> we you wonder like, why the world well hasn't stopped you. to congratulate <laughs> right. you. Yeah, like, exactly. why isn't everyone running into my office yeah, or my yeah. room? Like, congratulations. Yeah. I think the manager in our local Nero thought we were mad because he was like, you've gone past six times now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then, yeah, sleep. Yeah. So, Susan, so oh, that's what you've got to look forward yeah. to. Yeah. I can't wait to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> looking forward to it. I could see you. Um, I could see you nodding, Susan, actually, in that last um, answer that Nicola was giving around. You just need to ask, like, so are you in? Are you in? Are you? And how much are you actually in for? It's like that's been. Um, I know that that's been a challenge for you it guys, has, which is yeah. lots of we're interested, we're interested, we're interested, and then but how much? Okay, but for how much? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that the really interesting thing there is that you've got to think you're not asking for yourself. You're not going off to buy a pair of shoes for yourself, are you? This is mm-hmm. this is for your company. So that's a great way of looking at. It. I'm not asking for me. I'm asking for our business, which is really really great idea, and there's a real plan behind it. This is, yeah, as much as I'd like some new shoes. It's not about that, so... I think there's an art to incorporating yourself and your personality and your own sense of self in your business and also being able to decouple the yeah. rejection and the no's and all of that stuff from being a reflection on you because yeah. mm-hmm. it can be tiresome to be told no day after day after day and you knowing that you're the only one behind it mm-hmm. and it can creep into your own self-confidence and self, like mm-hmm. views on yourself. So there's a real fine balance between in the business and you being the business and you being outside of the business yeah. and mm. if the business fails that's not you yeah. failing yeah 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 
Yeah, that is such wise wisdom, I think, mm. to close on. If you're listening to this podcast in the week that it goes live, then feel free to get in touch with Sal or Suze. You may just be able to get in on their investment round if you're lucky. Um, Otherwise, reach out to each one of these entrepreneurs to give them a high five because they are trailblazing in the world of entrepreneurship. As women founders, they are breaking the mold and 100% they are businesses to keep an eye on. And who knows if they do a future investment round, you could be a part of that. But it's been such a pleasure to talk to the three of you today i think we might do panels again claire i love it new way new way (laughs) (laughs) thank you guys thank you so much thank you thank you you so much much. it's been great nice to to meet you guys as well nice to meet you bye sam thank you I don't know about you, but I thought that was awesome. That was so cool. Such a fun conversation and so insightful. Right. Such a good reminder that we don't have to do investment rounds alone from our kitchen tables, but that instead we can learn from other founders, share their know-how and take on board their support. Right. Absolutely. And it's by sharing those stories of the smaller raises, those really vital early stage raises that we shed the light and we demystify the world of investment. Brilliant. In next week's show, we're talking to Claire Kimese, co-founder of Kimese, a luxury handcrafted eyewear brand. For more know-how and inspiration on how to start, sustain and scale your business, hit subscribe now so you don't miss an episode.